Well, hey, welcome everybody to Blackhawk Church. My name is Matt, and uh, I'm the senior pastor here at Blackhawk. And uh, man, on behalf of our church staff, regardless of what site or venue you're at, we're glad that you're joining us right now. If you're online, welcome. Really glad that you're with us. Hey, as, as we're getting started into the service today, um, I wanted to share with you, uh, for, for many of you online people here in the room at our sites and venues, you're familiar with Pastor Coley McNair, PC, as we call him, who sometimes is up here leading worship, also leads in the Gospel Fusion venue uh, right across the way. And uh, this Friday, his father, uh, Bishop Charles McNair, passed away and went to be with the Lord. And I had the chance to be with, uh, with Bishop for a little bit of time on Thursday over at the hospital, and he took his last breath on Friday morning. And so I just bring that up. We're a church family. To be able to be praying for the McNair family, to pray for uh, Bishop Charles's wife, Alberta, as well as for Coley and Myra and their kids and extended family just as they walk through this season. Every, I mean, we all know death is, death is hard. And um, that brings me to my next thing. For some of you, you might have noticed that I haven't been up here for a few weeks. And, uh, and the reason why is because just recently, my father-in-law, Rob Hallworth, passed away. So we found out um, in August that he had pancreatic cancer, and we didn't know how much time he had. And, uh, and so at the end of October, uh, he took his last breath and went to be with Jesus. And, um, and so our family, we're walking through that. You know what I mean? As we move towards the first, first Thanksgiving, first Christmas, all of, all of those different things. And uh, Rob and his wife, Allison, um, were longtime members of Black Hawk Church. In fact, um, I was just talking with my mother-in-law, Allison, who is in uh, the Traditions venue right now. Shout out to Traditions people and mom, love you. Love you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You never know. You know, I practiced this many times, so this wouldn't happen. Here's another trick, too. This is something um, just good for you to know. So if you're ever feeling tears come on, I don't know if this is true, but someone told me you can't drink and cry at the same time. So it's good to have this around. I have no idea if it's true, but, it's, but I'm believing it, and it's helping me in the moment. Here's the thing. Um, Man, for all of you who have reached out to, um, to our family in this time, thank you so much. Thank you for the prayers and the cards and the meals. Thank you for people who have come over to rake leaves for my mom and us and all, all the different things that you've done. We are just so grateful. And, uh, and you know, my, my in-laws, longtime members of Blackhawk, they started attending Blackhawk in 1973 when they moved here from England. And uh, Rachel, uh, my wife, was six weeks old at the time when they moved here in 73. Um, just to put it out there, because some of you are doing the math, that makes her 49 years old. And she gave me permission to tell you all that right now. So, but, um, you know, my father-in-law, he loved Jesus. Man, he loved Jesus. In fact, all the way to the point where he wanted to make sure at his memorial service that the gospel would be shared clearly with all of his friends who would be there who didn't know the Lord. And, uh, and he loved this church. I mean, from the time that it was on Blackhawk Avenue until today. And he, 
He believed in the message of the gospel and the way that it could change people's lives. And he showed that in the way that he gave of his resources and the way that he gave generously here and the way that he served in so many different places around this church. And, and the reality is because of all that we do with our different sites and venues and the amount of people, like just the sheer size of our church, the reality is most of you never knew him. And it just got me thinking about how many people at our church we have here who are like that, who they, 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 they give generously and they serve all over the place. They give of their time and their resources and they don't do it for any notoriety. They do it just because they love Jesus and they long to see him be known more and more by more people. And, uh, and, so, and so, so many of you fall in that category where you serve faithfully and no one really knows who you are and I just, as the senior pastor here, just wanted to say thank you. So our church, we are the church that we are today because of the way that God uses people like this. And uh, it's just, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to pastor a church with people who love Jesus and serve that way and give that way. And so just wanted to say thank you. That actually kind of leads into the direction that we're going today when it comes to the message of the gospel. And really the first, mess, the first story that I wanted to be able to share with everyone, um, because my wife, um, who moved to Madison, Wisconsin from England when she was six weeks old, actually took a really big step just a couple of years ago. You know, being born in England, um, she was a British citizen, you know, because of that incredible six weeks, you know, there in England, just had such a big effect that she's a British citizen. And so she lives the, you know, entirety of her life pretty much here in, in the United States in Wisconsin. And so two years ago, she decided to take the step to become a U.S. citizen. And so she had to jump through all the hoops, filling out all kinds of paperwork, going to get fingerprinted in Milwaukee, having to take a, a written test on US history and government, which frankly, I think the vast majority of us who like were born in this country, we would not pass. And, um, and then had to go for an interview and then finally came to the time where she was going to be sworn in as a US citizen. And so two years ago, right at about this time was where we were headed to Milwaukee for this ceremony. And we dressed up in all red, white, and blue, you know, to head to this ceremony. And what I had heard in the past was this was like a really cool ceremony, but it was during COVID. You know, so like I wasn't even allowed to go in. So I basically like dropped her off at the doors of the building where she's wearing a mask. And I went to a parking lot where there was a Starbucks and bought a coffee and sat in the parking lot. And I, I was there for about 15 minutes. And then I got a text from Rachel saying, well, I'm done. <laughs> and so, so I pulled back over and picked her up and I had a playlist of all USA music that we were gonna listen to on the way home. And we, we actually went to a park to kind of commemorate the moment. And, uh, and we did sort of this like, I don't know, non-traditional photo shoot that we had of Rachel. So there, U.S. citizen. It was so fun. And, uh, and then on the way home, driving from Milwaukee to Madison, I was just asking her, all right, so what did you do? Like, how did they, how did they handle everything? And she's like, yeah, they, they, said, you know, they said some things. And then, and then her eyes got really big and she said, we had to take an oath. And I was like, really? She's like, yeah. And it was kind of an intense oath. And, um, and so when I got home, I looked, I Google searched the, the oath that she took, and this is the oath that she had to say. So it, um, I mean, it's just crazy. It, uh, it's, it's an oath of allegiance. It says, I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, 
or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all foreign and against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by law, that I will perform non-combatant service in the armed forces of the United States when required by law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by law, and that I take this ob obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. <sighs> like that's kind of intense, isn't it? Like for some of us who were born in this country, we're like, I had no idea. You know, like, in fact, some of us were like, I'm not even sure I could sign off on all that. You know, I mean, like there are all kinds of feelings that we have when we, when we read something like that. There is an intensity. There is, I think we could say, you read something like that with becoming a U.S. citizen, there is a weightiness to it. There is a substantiveness to a decision that you make like that. The reason why I bring that up is because today we're going to look at a subject that has, like when it comes to being a Christ follower that has weightiness, it's substantive. And I think we can easily miss it. Okay, stop and think about this for a minute. Uh, when, if, if we were talking about, if we were going to name off some different words that we think are important for somebody to understand if they were a Christ follower, think about that for a minute. Different words that you think people should understand becoming a Christian or a Christ follower. My guess is there are certain words that for a lot of us would come to mind. Um, probably one is grace, right? Um, maybe um, mercy or forgiveness. Um, justice would probably be one. Sin, um, free gift. Okay, I know that's, <laughs> that's not one word. We'll hyphenate it, free gift, you know? Um, different words like that. The word that we're going to look at today, what I'm guessing is, it wouldn't make any of our lists. In fact, as I was preparing for this message, before this message, this word wouldn't have made my list, but it should have. The word that we are looking at today is the word covenant. Covenant is a word that is all throughout scripture. And it's incredibly important to us understanding what our relationship looks like with, with, with us, with God, and with the world. And yet for most of us, we really don't have a grip on what it is that covenant really is all about. So covenant is one of these things, like when you think of the idea of covenant, um, it's incredibly important to our faith. And here's the reason why. It's weighty. It has substance. And it's important for us to understand that because I think for some of us, when we think of of, of becoming a Christian or becoming a Christ follower, we think of it as, okay, I'm placing my faith in Jesus. And that's a free gift, which is all true. But, but for many of us, what we think of, like when we think of becoming a Christian, we think of praying a prayer. Like, do you think of that? Like, you maybe heard that before. Like, well, did they pray the prayer? You know, like there's some magical words that we're supposed to say to become a Christian. And maybe at some point in your life, you prayed the prayer to accept Jesus as your savior, accept Jesus in, into your heart. And uh, maybe that was at a, I don't know, it could have been at a church service. It could have been at like a Christian camp that you went to when you were younger or a conference or something like that that you went to and something happened and you prayed a prayer. But the reality is on the other side of it, like nothing really changed for you. 
when it came to your life. So you stand on this idea, I prayed a prayer, but nothing ever changed. That's probably one side of the pendulum for people. But then there's this other side of the pendulum for people where um, for some of you, when you think of being a Christian, the thing that you think of is that you need to live a particular life to make sure that God approves of you. And so your goal in life is to live a life where like your good kind of outweighs your bad. You know, so you're constantly trying to look at and make sure that, that on the good side, you have more there than what's on the bad side in hopes that someday, like when I get to the pearly gates and I stand before God, he's gonna look at me and go, well, you at least have like a C plus average. So, you know, you can kind of slide in the door on the side. And some of us, we think of it that way. We are constantly living our lives to earn the approval of, of God. And regardless of what side that you land on, whether it's, well, you pray a prayer and that's kind of it, or no, you need to earn God's salvation. Those are the two sides of the pendulum. I think that both are missing the boat in some way. And we understand that from this idea of covenant. Okay, so you might be going, all right, Matt, what is a covenant? Well, a covenant is kind of like, it's kind of like a contract, but it's different. Because one of the things that, that, that really kind of stands out when it comes to the idea of covenant is, um, is relationship. You know, so like you think of a contract you might sign. Like for most of us, like we've lived in a rental at some point in our lives. We've lived in a rental and, uh, you know, but as you sign a contract with a rental, there's like, there's no expectation that you're going to become like best friends with your landlord. Like you're going to go out to brunch with them every couple of weeks, right? No, no, no. There's no relationship. And if you break that contract, let's say you break something in your rental apartment or condo, whatever it is you're living in, you might lose your security deposit, but that's really about it. A contract is, or covenant is different than that. Probably the, the best example that we have of a covenant in today's day and age when it comes to our lives is really um, probably marriage, is probably the best example we have within our culture, our society today. You know, so, so a lot of years ago, Rachel and I got married. I showed this picture recently. I figured, okay, I'll throw it up again just for your enjoyment and, uh, and look at all my dark hair. It's amazing. So, um, but, so years and years ago on this day, Rachel and I stood before a group of friends and family and we made promises to each other based upon our relationship with one another. And in that, we made covenants that would hold for the remaining years of our lives. And, and, and the idea of those is that we would unite together and we would do that, not just for the good of each other, but so that we would be used in the world. So that it would affect other people as well. So that what we were joining into together would actually benefit other people more with us together than what God could do just through us separately. That's the idea of covenant. And this, this, this picture of covenant, it is all throughout scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through. Now, I'd love to walk you through all of the different passages, but I figure I'm probably not the best person to do that, that there's actually someone who could do it better. And uh, he is a guy who used to be on staff here who founded an organization called the Bible Project. So Tim Mackey is a guy who used to be on staff here and teach on a regular basis. And he started something called the Bible Project. If you're not familiar with it, you need to be. Because he does this amazing job of creating short little videos that help us to understand massive concepts of, of, of Christianity and different ideas within our faith. And he did one on covenant. So I thought, well, 
why not take a few minutes to see what Tim has to say on this subject? This all together is probably about five minutes, but let's go ahead and understand Tim's perspective of the idea of covenant from the Old and New Testament. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. 
But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the New Covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus, is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. All right. So there was a lot in that video. First little advertisement, if you've never checked out the Bible Project, go and do that. You can hop on their website. You can just go to YouTube, type in Bible Project, and all kinds of different stuff will come up. It is a great way, a great resource for helping us understand God's word in a deeper way. But there was a lot in that video, and so there are really three things that I want you to take away from what was in that video. Let's look at this for just a minute. These are the three things. Covenant, it's a partnership. This relationship, that's a big element of it. And humans, well, we break the partnership with God. And so God reestablishes a covenant with us through Jesus. Really, those, those are the main ideas that I think that we need to take away from this, from this whole perspective. And so what I wanna do, I wanna be able to, to dive into one of these pictures of covenant in particular, that gives us a foreshadowing of what is to come when Jesus comes onto the scene. And in order to do that, we need to take a look at a passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 15. So however it is that you take in the Bible, if you want to go ahead and go to Genesis 15 right now, and we're going to take a look at some of this story. Now, uh, while you're turning there, just to give a little bit of a backdrop, last week, Charles started into, we're in this series right now, Live This Book, and in that series right now, we are taking a look at a particular section called God Chooses a People. And, uh, and as we move through that area, Charles last week talked about this relationship that God began with Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, it's the picture that he gives where God says to Abram, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. And my hope is that you will be a people who are in the world, not of the world. Well, in order to understand that though, we have to get into where did this covenant relationship with Abram or Abraham really start? And all of that began in Genesis chapter 15, just three chapters after Genesis 12. But the thing we need to understand, sometimes it's difficult to get an idea of real timeline. From the time of Genesis 12 to the time of Genesis 15, man, theologians say somewhere between 10 and 20 years have gone by in this period of time. And so as we find Abram in Genesis 15, he's like great grandpa age, somewhere between the ages of 85 and 95 Years old, And the promises that God had made to him up to this point was to give him offspring, 
to make him a great nation and to give him land. Those were the two directions things had gone. All right, so let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter 15, beginning with verse five. Now, here's what's taken place. God has come to Abram in this moment and said to him, you're going to be a great nation. And Abram's asking questions. How do I know that's going to take place? And so God answers him this way. He says, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and it was credited and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Okay, do you see? God is reiterating in this whole section again, these two promises, offspring and land. Those are the two things that he's moving towards. But Abram's asking all kinds of questions, which I can understand why he would do. And there's an element of faith that we see start to go into this. Now, I'd love to dive into that idea. But in, in two weeks, Lynn Beanick is going to come and be on the stage and unpack some of this idea of this faith journey that Abram was on. So we're gonna leave that alone right now and keep moving in everything with this story. Because this is where God is about to make a covenant with Abram, but he does it in a really, <laughs> a really weird way. So Abram's asking him questions, and this is how God answers, verse nine. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Okay, like, like, just stop and think about that for a minute. Like, don't just vacation Bible school a passage like that. This is weird, right? He, he, Abram's saying, okay, God, how can I know that you're actually gonna do what you're gonna do? And God's like, hmm, okay, go get a heifer. And how about a ram? And why not bring a goat? Oh, and while you're at it, grab a pigeon and a dove, you know? And he cuts them in half and he creates this walkway in between the pieces. That's weird isn't it? Now, here's the thing. We have to understand to our people day and age that we live in, that's a weird thing. To people back then, this wouldn't have been weird. What's happening as God is creating this covenant is he is using something, an ancient blood oath that people back then used to use. And the way that they would do this with two people who were making a covenant with one another, they would do this, putting animals on either side that had been killed, and they would walk in between the pieces and it was a figurative representation of the oath that they were making to one another, basically saying, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I do not hold up to my end of the covenant. May I be broken. May my blood be shed if I don't hold up to my end of the deal. That's what was taking place in this moment. Can you see it? Everybody with me online? We're all good? Good, I know it's weird, but let's keep going because something really interesting happens next. If you continue to read in the passage, God causes Abraham to fall asleep. And then let's pick up and see what happens. Go to verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. 
and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, and he goes on and mentions all kinds of different ites. So it's just the land of the ites. And this is what God is going to give to Abram. Now, okay, <laughs> let me explain what's taking place. Abram's asleep. And this fire pot and torch shows up. If you understand this from scripture and from theologians, they say this is a, this is a physical representation of, of, of the physical image of God that passes through the pieces in this moment, making this covenant with Abram. If, if, if I don't hold to my end of the deal, may I be broken and my blood be shed like these animals. God passes through the pieces. But do you notice who doesn't pass through the pieces? Abram. He's asleep off to the side. And God is the only one who passes through the pieces. In other words, God takes on the responsibility for both sides of this covenant. If you're not able to hold up to your end, yeah, I'm taking responsibility for both pieces. It's as if God knew that for Abraham, Abraham, because he was a sinful human, was never going to be able to hold up to his end of the deal. And so therefore, God is the only one who passes through the pieces. This is huge. This, is, this has significance and substance. It is weighty. And really, I mean, if you look at it from all lines, like this is a foreshadowing of, of, of God's relationship like with us as humanity, you know, all the way across the piece. Think of it, God makes a covenant with us, but because of our fallenness, we would never have the ability to hold up to end our end of the deal. And so God takes on the responsibility alone. That's what we see taking place here in Genesis chapter 15. Okay, now hang on to that story and fast forward now to the New Testament where Jesus is on the scene. And Jesus is, he is walking the planet and he is talking about the kingdom of God is at hand. And he is talking about this idea of a new covenant. And he is finding people who are beginning to follow him and he is choosing his disciples. And yet what's the thing that he knows? Every one of them, they're going to fail. They're not going to be able to hold up to their end of the bargain. And so Jesus on the night that he was betrayed on the night before he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, gathers his disciples in the upper room. And think about this. Think about this through the lens of Genesis 15. And he takes bread. And Luke 22 actually tells us what he was doing there. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. This cup, here's the wording, is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Like, do you see what's happening here? Can you see the imagery of what's taking place in this moment? Jesus is creating a covenant with his followers, knowing they're not gonna be able to hold up to the end of the bargain. And so he is the only one who passes through the pieces. And in that, in as he passes through the pieces, he becomes the sacrifice. He becomes the animal whose body is broken 
and whose blood is shed to pay a penalty that we could never pay on our own so that for any of us who place our faith in Jesus, in him alone for our salvation, we can be in right relationship with God. Why? Because of this relationship, because of this partnership that we enter into with Jesus who sacrificed himself as the animal that was walked through. We couldn't hold to our end of the bargain. Jesus took the responsibility for it so that we can be in right relationship with God. That is what we believe. And in that relationship, as we step into this covenant, remember, this is relationship. This is partnership. This is unity. We get this picture. If you go forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, read this. It says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is a transformation that happens in us. I mean, so think about this. He bears the penalty for our sins and we become righteous. Why? Because we are united to him. Think about this. Jesus dies and resurrects from the dead and we come to life. Why? Because we are united with him. There is this picture of this unity and this partnership. And that's what we are called into where through Jesus and our faith in him, when we place our faith in him, he begins to do a work in us to transform us to be a part of this partnership. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, it also says this. It says, and he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and who died for them and was raised again. We enter into this relationship with God and he does a work inside of us to transform us into the image of Jesus because we're united with him. This is what we celebrate every time we take communion. Christ's body broken, his blood shed, and are uniting with him for any of us who have placed our faith in Jesus. And in just a few minutes at all sites, all venues, we're gonna have a chance to be able to take communion together. If you're home and online, we're gonna welcome you into that as well. But before we go there, I feel like I would completely be missing the boat if I didn't ask everyone who is here today in this room, sites, venues, regardless if you're downtown or Fitchburg or any of the places here at Brader Way, have you come to the place where you've accepted Jesus as your savior? Have you come to the place where you have entered into that relationship with a God who loves you more than you can imagine through his son, Jesus? Have you entered into a relationship that's more than just a prayer that I prayed when I was eight years old at a camp and nothing has ever changed? And do I see how, man, when I try to live up to the expectations that I think I have to have to have a C plus average in life, that is never going to get me through the doors. I need to step into a one-sided covenant. And Jesus offers us that through his death and resurrection. He died the death that we were supposed to die. And so that we can live the life that we didn't have the ability to live all through Jesus. And if you have never taken that step, I just want to encourage you. And today, could today be that day for you 
where for the first time you're going, okay, I hear the message, the free gift of Jesus, the free gift of eternal life through Jesus. I get it now. For the first time, I get it. I understand it. And maybe today you want to place your faith in Jesus. It's simply just coming to the place where you go, yeah, I realize I can't do it on my own. I, I can't do the two, two-way covenant. I need a one-way covenant with a God who is going to, man, pay the penalty for my sins. I want to be in relationship with that God. And if you want to take that step today, regardless of where you're at and where it is that you're listening, man, I want to give you the chance to do that. And there's nothing in scripture that says anything actually about having to pray a prayer or anything like that. But I think that sometimes it's good for us just to be able to, to kind of mark a moment. And it's just simply in the quietness of, of, of your own heart, just saying, God, I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> I realized I cannot save myself. I'm in need of a savior. God, thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus, to create a one-sided covenant where my sin can be paid for because of what he did for me. And Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your sacrifice for my sins. Today, I place my faith in you. I give you control of my life. I want to partner with you and what it is that you're doing in this world. Thank you for saving me. If you, uh, if you prayed that prayer right now, <laughs> let me just tell you, in all honesty, there are angels who are celebrating in heaven, whooping it up right now because of you. And we'd love to be able to celebrate with you too. And, um, and so we're in a technological world today. We'd love to know that you made this step and we'd love to be able to pray for you as a church family. And so if you wouldn't mind pulling out your phone and just simply texting the word yes to 608-618-4003. Yes, yes, I placed my faith in Jesus today. Yes, I've gone from death to life. Yes, I've accepted, I've entered into this relationship. That's what you're saying yes to. And we'd love just to simply pray for you. We don't have any of your information at that point, but uh, we will send you something. You can give us your information because we'd love to help you figure out the next steps that you need to do. Also, if you're at any of our sites or venues, like here at one of our buildings, man, come and talk to one of the hosts or one of our people up front or to the info center at any of the places. We have a gift for you that we would love to be able to give you today. There is no greater decision that you could make. When we enter into this one-sided covenant, it makes all the difference in the world. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the free gift that you offer us. It is such good news. God, I pray today you would help us for those of us who have understood this for so long, that it might renew something in us to the depth of love that you have for us, the sacrifice you made for us, and the, like the unity, the relationship that we have with you. And God, for those who place their faith in you for the first time today, God, I pray that you would give them assurance. If anything were to happen to them, like they would immediately go to be in heaven with you, not because of anything that they've done, but everything that you did. We thank you so much for eternal life because of Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.